Hey, way to come to church on Memorial Day. Statistically, I, I, I'm going to say it now since you're here. Uh, this is the uh, bottom five Sunday of the year. Top five, like, least attended Sundays. Not our church. We love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, I love it. If you are at church and you're watching on YouTube, we forgive you. God forgives you. Me in the house. Well, if this is your first time, we're in a series. It's been a five-week series. We're closing it out today. It's titled Jesus Always. Everybody say Jesus Always. And the title of my message today is Who Cares? Who Cares? Now, the way this uh, series was birthed is we want everybody in the room to understand that this is not just a book of principles or a book of just good ideas. It's a, a book about a person. And his name is Jesus. 66 books long, over 40 authors, and it's perfect. And so we want to look at rhythms in the Bible, attributes of God that we would start to value more because he values them. And you'll never know who you are until you know who God is. You'll never know your purpose until you find out the one who created you for your purpose. And so we're going to talk about just caring today. And uh, the title of Who Cares, it's going to make sense in just a second. But throughout the Bible, you're going to see this, that when Jesus came on the scene, he wanted to teach his team to care and to actually understand what it looks like to care. He taught story after story, the Good Samaritan. We just don't walk by people when they're broken. We care for those people. The disciples, when the little kid would come up and ask for blessing, be like, get out of here, you're, you're bothering us. And Jesus would say, they're not in the way of the mission. Caring for the kids is the mission. You'll see this throughout scripture that he would refer to himself as shepherd, that he would come to care for his sheep. That's us. You'd see this in Matthew 25. We'll not be judged on how talented we were, on how, how many people sat in the seats at our church. We will not be judged by that. We will judge by simply this. Did you care for my people? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? Did you care for what I cared for? This is actually the final judgment. And so I thought, maybe, just maybe, in a world that wonders, does anybody care what I'm going through, that there would be a church located in the Bay Area named Mission Church that says, we care, we care. There is a cry in our region of who cares. And his name is Jesus. He can flip your life upside down all the right ways. And, and I want to start with a, a scripture in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah 1. And it's a, a beautiful picture of Jesus because Jesus is a better Nehemiah. So Nehemiah hears about what's going on. It's a broken down wall. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Bay Area is in great trouble. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates uh, have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed for the, uh, to the God of heaven. Stop. There has to be a moment in your life and you gotta ask yourself, what moves you? Some translations say that Nehemiah heard this and he was moved. He was moved to pray. So he hears that God's people are being destroyed, that the, the wall that uh, represents protection, safety, uh, so they can flourish, that it's been destroyed. And he goes on, and this is what happens. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. You hear us say this at our church, but if your prayers were answered today, all your prayers that you prayed this last week, if they were answered, would your world look different? or the world look different. A lot of us are praying prayers to change our world, but Nehemiah shows us a picture that when we actually see the world breaking, God is looking for a church to say, man, I want to pray for the world. I want to pray for the broken people. I want to uh, quote the great theologian Winnie the Pooh. 
Is that cool with you? Yeah. Uh, some people care too much. I think it's called love. Quote. When, <laughs> oh, Winnie the Pooh. Try to find a Care Bear quote. I couldn't find one, so let's go. Cool. Let me catch this real quick. The picture that's happening real quick. Nehemiah. We're like, okay, yeah, he cared. The context of scripture. 120 years, this wall had been broken down, destroyed. God's people, with the wall not up, they would try to take back ground, and then the enemy would come steal their provision. Over and over again, they would try to take back ground, and the enemy would come in because there's no wall to protect them, and they would steal what they had. So they, do you ever feel like your life's being stolen from you at times? And I believe Jesus came on the scene to build this thing called grace in your life so the enemy cannot take what he has given you. And so for 120 years, people would just step over the broken wall. I don't know what it looked like to go to school that day or go to work, but can you imagine people just walking by the wall and just, man, it's just too bad. And finally, somebody cared enough that it broke them down to their knees and they started praying and say, this cannot be. Something that was broken for 120 years, Nehemiah showed on the scene, it took 52 days to rebuild the wall. And I believe in our culture, there's a lot of broken things. We are not gonna be a church that walks by the broken. We are not gonna be a church that just says, that's just too bad. We're going to pray. We're going to act. We're going to be a church of action. And my prayer is, when we started the church, I'll just say it. This was, this was the book the Lord brought me to. I was driving in the car. It happened twice. We are driving to Monterey one time. We are just thinking about planting a church. It was Walnut Creek. I cried so hard, like Nehemiah, that I had to pull the car over. Kind of freaked my wife out a little bit. But I knew that I knew that we were supposed to do something in this region. And God has directed your steps here, not so you would attend a church, but that you would change the world with us. You guys want to change the world? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Come on. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. And Lord, you called us to the Bay Area, the least church region in the U.S. I don't think it's an accident. I believe that you want to do something special. I believe you want to take the least church region with the least amount of Christians and turn it upside down and light it up with the most churches, with the most joy, with the most breakthrough, with the most freedom because that's what you do. Oh, Father, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? If you have your Bibles, turn to John 2. We're going to get into a very quick three points. It's going to be a shorter message today. I hope that's okay with you. Is uh, We're going to look at three points. A caring church cares for the one. That's going to be point one. Point two is going to be a caring church has a caring father. And then last but not least, a caring church uh, cares for the ones the religious people has thrown out. What? We're going to talk about religion today. Okay. It's going to get awkward. So John 2, to set up the context, is it's kind of like almost an undercover boss scene. It reads like an episode from Undercover Boss. If you never saw Undercover Boss, I'm just going to unpack it real quick. Undercover Boss was where the CEO of a big company would show up at like their uh, normal like store. So the CEO of Waste Management came to one of the Waste Management uh, factories and worked with the company, and you'd be all heartwarming. You'd find an amazing employee, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're working so hard. You know, here's a trip to Hawaii. See you later. And he gets on his jet and leaves. It's amazing still, okay? Um, uh, you'd see another uh, like restaurant chain, and the CEO would come in, and he'd even see workers not doing what they're supposed to be doing and get frustrated. So, so Jesus is almost like an undercover boss. He shows up to the temple, and let's see what the King of Kings and Lord Lord does when he shows up at his temple. You ready? John 2, 13 says this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove, the, uh, drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, uh, the coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. This ain't no Mr. Rogers, Jesus. I love it. Come on. Uh, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. 
Passion for God's house will consume you. Okay, what consumes you? Worry, your career, people. But for God, what, what he cared about was God's house. And you need to understand something. God's temple, he goes on to say, he goes, hey, you, 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 almost like they pick a fight with him. He's like, oh, you want to do this? Hey, tear the temple down. I'll build it back in three days. He's talking about his own life. Destroy this and watch how I rebuild it. And you, you look at Nehemiah, the first seven chapters of rebuilding the wall. He don't rebuild the wall, just rebuild. He rebuilds the wall so he can revive and restore the people. And I believe God wants to build your life so he can restore and revive a region. And so there's an, an amazing catch here. I want to catch real quick. He didn't flip tables and brothels. You'd think that maybe if Jesus was frustrated, he'd walk into a brothel and flip tables at brothels. He would go to some terrible temple worship place where idols were being worshipped and flip the tables. No, he went to his temple, and that's where he got frustrated. And I ask myself this question sometimes. If Jesus walked into Mission Church, undercover boss style, would he say, I'm well pleased? They get it. What I intended the church to be, they're becoming. I died on the cross for this to happen. I don't think he died so you'd come to church on a Sunday, but I believe he died that you would actually become the church Monday through Sunday. I wrote down a couple quotes. I want to catch real quick. Uh, Jesus' passion about the church being everything intended to be. So real quick, let's define what the church is. The church is not a building. It's not a Sunday. The church is you. And he's so committed to it. You ever wonder, like, man, am I ever going to actually reach my dreams, reach my potential? Am I, supposed to, am I going to become everything God called me to be? Here's how passionate it is. It says, Philippians 4, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Stop. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like my name. I don't like it. I don't like Tyler. I remember like being 12 and I wanted to change it. Uh, and here's why, okay? Uh, if your name is Tyler, it's a great name. Anyways, um, uh, here's why I didn't like my name. I, I, it is a great name, but for me, okay, um, found out the name, the, the origin of the name one. It meant Tyler of Roof. It's a French name, so it meant that I would tile roof, bricklayer. I found a, a translation, builder of lives. That's what I hold on to now. Um, but I loved action movies. I didn't watch cartoons as a kid. Parents didn't know the Lord, so I mean, I could watch anything. My, nine, nine, uh, my nine-year-old birthday, I went to Terminator 2 and Double Impact. Two rated R movies at nine years old. Pray for me, okay? Uh, but that's what I grew up on. So when I was like thinking about names, the enemy, like you'd hear the name. I wanted the name like Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs> like you say, hey, what's your name? Maximus. Middle name, Decimus. Last name, Meridius. I want a name like Leonidas. You know what I'm saying? I, I want John McClane, okay? I want a name that if the enemy heard my, my name, it would strike fear in, in, the, in the heart of the enemy. I want a name like Denzel. You know what I'm saying? I want, I want something strong, you know? I wish you had more time, you know? I want, I want something powerful for my name. But I got Tyler. And so I'd picture action movies and be like, who's coming for you? Tyler. Ooh, you know? Uh, okay. You know, and then I was like, well, man, I, I remember watching Lion King. I was like, Mufasa. I wanted to be called Mufasa, okay? You know, what's his name? Mufasa. You know, I mean, that, that, that strikes fear in the enemy, and it makes the damsel in distress go, he's coming. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, I digress. My name is Tyler. So I remember planning the church, and for 10 years, the name Mission Church was on my heart. I felt like the Lord gave it to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I love the name of our church. I love it. I love, I love, I love that it's mission church, not, not uh, come to church on Sunday church, not chosen frozen church, not I sit and seat church. It is mission church. I think the name of our church strikes fear in the enemy. I think the name of our church represents something, the great commission that we are all about. This is our tagline, if I want to call it that way, mission church. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. I, the enemy is not afraid of how big your church gets. Not, he's not afraid how big it is. Not afraid how talented it is. Not, not even afraid at how charismatic it is. The enemy's afraid of the church actually becoming a movement. Saying yes to the mission of Jesus. 
I heard a missionary say this one time, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. So where do you want me to go, Tyler? Where are you sending me? Why right, catch this real quick. You are a missionary in the least church region in all of the U.S. God sent you here. It would be like you going to another region where very few people actually know the gospel of Jesus. They actually know, know the goodness of God. When you actually ask people about God, they have some idea of God. They have some Simpsons version of God. They have some religious uh, bad taste in their mouth kind of God, but they actually don't know the goodness of God, the gospel message. And so there's this theme throughout the Bible that Jesus cares for the one. He cares so much for the one that the Pharisees are so freaked out by it. He takes a parable, Luke 15, he shares three stories about how much he cares for the one. He says, don't you think a shepherd would leave the 99 and go for the one? Don't you think that, uh, that, a, that, a, that a person who lost something valuable like a coin would do everything in their energy, flip the tables of their house, move the couches to say, I found my lost coin. And don't you think they, that they would love it so much that they would call their friends and say, I found my lost coin, rejoice with me. Because what you care about, you celebrate. What you care about, you pray. Uh, you'll, you'll see this throughout scripture. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then care for my sheep. You'll see another story, the prodigal son, a father who prepares the house for the prodigal to come home. Every Sunday at 7 a.m., we prepare the house for a prodigal to come home. And all a prodigal represents is somebody who is away from Jesus, away from the blessing of God, the promises of God, comes to the house and realizes everything that Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. You don't have to pay for it. We're going to party. We're going to celebrate you. I, I, I see this throughout Scripture. If you have the Bible, uh, Mark 4, turn your Bible Mark 4. This is, a, this is a rhythm of God caring for the one. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd uh, gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in on it <laughs> while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So picture this. Jesus starts to teach, and it gets so full on the land that he has to get on a boat to teach everybody. That's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The disciples are there. They're like, dang, we made the right decision. We killing the game, you know. I mean, you got, I mean, disciples were not very sanctified at this moment. You know, they, they, were, they were arguing over who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand. They were calling fire down on cities that were disagreeing. Kill them all, God. Like, they were still kind of, this was the early stages, okay? And so you got to always wonder what they were thinking. Because after they get done teaching, Jesus hasn't gotten a boat. So it says this in Mark 5, fast forward. After this huge crowd, Jesus preaches to thousands. Gets them in the boat, and it says they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. Stop. Do you ever wonder what they were thinking in the boat? Like as they're going, like they just left, like, yo, our Instagram is gonna blow up. Okay. <laughs> I just checked. I just got a hundred follows. Okay. What? Yeah, within like two. Oh, oh my gosh, it just keeps going. They probably thought, oh my goodness, we are, we. <laughs> We're going to run this town. We have the new um, governor of all this place. Because everybody's still thinking politically instead of actually eternally. And so they had all, probably had all these thoughts. And even when they're in the boat, they're like, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next. I wonder how many people are going to be there. You know, I mean, are they going to have to have personal security and team hosts for me to walk in and be like, hey, Peter, you're here. So glad you're here. Here's some water. Anything you want? No, here's what he does. Jesus shows them that, of course, teaching the crowd is important. But the first thing he does after he leaves the crowd, and you'll see this rhythm of God, is he goes for the one. So it goes to Mark 5. They cross the lake, and it's an amazing moment. But when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bring him anymore. 
uh, bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Stop. Rhythm of God. Teach the crowd. Send the crowd. Teach the crowd. Send the crowd. Teach the crowd. Send the crowd. Heard it once say, if the church does not evangelize, it will fossilize. Our, let's go to Undercover Boss real quick. This will get broken. This, this church will be broken once we come to church on Sunday and just leave and not think about anything that God told us to do that week. Church cannot be a place. It doesn't matter how big our church gets. It doesn't matter that we're a, uh, you know, a little over a year old and we're growing every, every, every Sunday. If our attendance numbers grow, but you don't leave here knowing that you're sent to go change the world, the church is broken. And God will take his scripture to turn your own philosophies and your own mindset and your own passions to turn it upside down so you'll know that you are called to reach the one. I think one of the reasons why people um, feel like they can't be used by God is they think they have to do the most amazing thing. They think they got to get in a boat and preach to thousands. No, no, no. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. There's somebody you can reach that I can't reach. One conversation at a time. One kind act at a time. One coffee at a time. One gracious, gracious person being forgiving to an annoying employee at a time. You are called to change the world one person at a time. Second point is a caring church has a caring father. A caring church has a caring father. Um, one of my favorite movies was Lion King. You heard me already say Mufasa. Uh, but there's this amazing moment in Lion King. And it's uh, Simba has now left Pride Rock. He had something bad happen in his life, so he decides to bounce. And he's hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa. And they're living the Akuna. Come on now, my people. Akuna Matata life. And then there's this amazing moment in the movie where Mufasa shows up. Now, Mufasa has died, so he shows up in a vision. As a kid, it's hard to process this, but I was just rolling with it. It's cool. And so Mufasa shows up on the scene, and he says, Simba. He's like... Dad, you know, he's like, he's like, you have forgotten me. He's like, no, I haven't forgotten you. I've never forget you. He goes, you've forgotten who you are. Therefore, you have forgotten me. And again, when you're nine years old, you're like, what is this guy saying? You know what I'm saying? But then as you get older, I, I remember catching it. He tells Sim, he goes, go back to Pride Rock. Scars destroyed it, basically. And what he's saying is simply this is, Simba, I am your father. You are my son. I am king. You are prince. I am royalty, you are royalty. And when you say yes to Jesus, he is saying, I am father, you are son and daughter. I am king, you are prince and princess. And with royalty comes a responsibility. And so Simba understands his identity for the first time. I got a caring father who cares for me and I've ignored my responsibility. And I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy. I think all of us, if we could be honest, I think we're all trying to create the Akuna Matata life. It means no worries for the rest of your days. You're welcome. Uh, I'm tone deaf. I sounded like I killed it, just so you know. And when I meet people, you know what their goal is most of the time? I'm just trying to find this comfortable pocket where I'm not worried anymore. I want to get this right salary. I want to get the right people, the right church, the right group, the right uh, job, position. And once I have that, then I won't worry anymore. Your goal is never to live a life to stop worrying. Your goal for life was to actually live out your God-given birthright, to live out your inheritance, to understand that a caring father has caring sons and daughters. And when you'll care, what we avoid, the enemy invades. And if we won't care for this region, all we do is basically say we forfeit it. You can have it. I, I, I use a lot of sports illustrations, so forgive me, but I feel like the people who hate sports have already left our church, so I think it's cool. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to talk about the Warriors real quick. Uh, I was reading an article this last week, and uh, Damian Lillard uh, talked about why the Warriors are so hard to beat. He's like, man, they just, 
they get it. They're a team. They're, they're alignment. He used the word alignment. He said they're alignment of, of who's supposed to screen, who's supposed to shoot. They're always moving. They have this great team chemistry. Everybody knows their role. And what he's saying is your alignment is going to affect your assignment. That if you are aligned with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're going to care about what he cares about. You're going to take back ground where you're supposed to take back ground. And you're going to live out the promise that he has for your life. But if you get aligned with the world, you get aligned with a philosophy, it will affect your assignment. I want to have a church where we understand everybody has a role to be played. Everybody. There is no small role on the team with the Warriors. Everybody gets a ring at the end. Come on now, we're heavy favorites against the Raptors. Can I get an amen? <laughs> a caring church has a caring father. A religious church has a religious God. An angry church has an angry God. But a loving church has a loving father, a God who is love. My third point, very simple, is a caring church cares for the uh, one the religious has thrown out. Cares for the one the religious has thrown out. We're going to uh, pick up the story in Luke 19. It's a story of Zacchaeus. Very simple story. I want to catch it real quick. I, w- I know that Zacchaeus showed up because Jesus was there. He couldn't get to the crowd, so he climbs a tree. We're going to read that in just a second. But I always wonder why he showed up. Why would Zacchaeus show up to Jesus, the perfect God, fully man, fully God? And I, I, had to, I had to think that Zacchaeus, this is in Luke 19, this is a little bit later in Jesus' ministry, I had to think that Zacchaeus was like, man, I heard that a Samaritan woman that like, was like, had like five husbands and like sleeping around, she got saved. He might be thinking, man, like, I heard about the guy in the, in the cemetery that was demon-possessed, and he's saved and he's free. You know, if I'm being honest, it would be like us at church, like, I heard that Bill got saved. Bill? Yeah, Bill got saved. Maybe I can get saved too. It'd be whatever people in his culture, he's starting to go, if that person is loved by God, maybe I could be loved by God. He's, he's, the, the, the word starts getting out that there's this gracious God that has the good news that is going to give this thing called grace. You can't earn it. You just receive it and it will change your life forever. Come on out. Amen. Let's go. Luke 19, here we go. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Stop. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Everybody say passing through. Most of our greatest moments in life is when we're on the journey passing through. When you're at Starbucks, passing through. When you're going to get your lunch, passing through. When you're walking to whatever dinner or Nordstrom's, if you're a naughty girl or naughty guy, or if you love H&M or Zara, whatever it is, when you're passing through, these are when the great moments happen in your life. I feel like we're chasing great moments, but you got to realize you are the great moment because you have the great God. So he's passing through this town. It's an amazing picture. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to uh, to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. They all grumbled. He has, gone, uh, he has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man had a mission to seek and save the lost. Stop. You ever hear those people? If I came to your church, I would just catch on fire. You ever heard other people say that? Oh, you don't want me to come to your church. I'd catch on. I, to be honest, I, I understand when somebody says that to me. 
But I don't understand when the person that goes to my church is like, you don't understand, if that person came to our church, they would catch on fire. You would catch on fire. Do you not know the grace yet of God? One of my dreams of our church, Mission Church, and there's a buddy, um, a pastor up in Washington State where I'm from, pastors, uh, pastor in a great church, thir- thir- 13 years old. And uh, so your church is 13 years, so you have these amazing stories. And I believe our, our church is starting to have amazing stories because our God is a God of amazing stories. And so one of the stories I heard this pastor share, and I was, I was just, I was, I was amazed by it. So even when we planted the church, I was like, man, I want that to happen in our church. I want those kind of things. I want those kind of stories, God. And when this pastor planted his church, it was the same thing he wanted. And, and what I mean by that is he was um, on social media and saw this uh, young gal singing a uh, song on social media, sounding like Adele is how he described it. And he was like, wow, we need to get her on the worship team. And so he tells his son, because she's 18, hey, we need to get him on, uh, we need to get her on the worship team. And the son's like, no, you understand, she ain't never coming to church. She's dropping acid on the weekends. She's a full, like, I mean, she's like an atheist, atheist. She is never coming. And so they go to a restaurant, and they see the girl that was on social media, and they, uh, he walks up to her and goes, you're the girl that sings the songs on the, on the social media. She says, who are you? And he's like, hold on a second, you're the one who posted it. Don't get twisted, okay? You're the one who posted it for all us to see. And he goes, he goes, you got to come to church. And she like basically, you know, and the friend was there. He was like, oh, yeah, I, go, I, I, go, I used to go to your church. I still have the sticker on my car because it gets me out of tickets, but whatever. I don't go anymore. Um, and so he invites her to church. You come, you come to our church, we're going to love you. I, I know people. We're going to take care of you. Come check church out. She's like, oh, whatever. I'm out of here. Well, a few weeks later, go on, and uh, this girl who had an amazing gift but was still doing acid dropped uh, some acid and had the worst um, experience with it. Calls her friend at 3 a.m. and says, I, I want to go to that church on Sunday. Take me to that church on Sunday. And so that girl came to that church that Sunday, and it's a few years into their church, and she got saved. And if you went to that church today, she's their worship pastor. She leads worship now at that church. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I think of that story, and I think of people coming and, that would say to that church, and you got to go to that church. Why? Their worship pastor used to drop acid. <laughs> what? <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. It was pretty cool, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I want that word to get out here. Like, hey, you got to, Bill goes there. Bill, who used to sell me drugs, goes there? Yes, he got saved. Yeah, yeah, Mary goes there. Mary, Mary, the one who used to drop ecstasy? Yeah, that Mary, she got saved. This is the dream of the church. This is the word that should get out about the church. The problem is, is what happens in the church is all the religious views come out of the church. Oh, you know what the church's stance on that is, don't you? Oh, you know if you do that, the church believes this. Well, you know, religiously, we, we believe that if you do this, then you're actually going to go to hell and burn. Merry Christmas, see you on Sunday, 9.15. New service times, 9.30, 11.15, you're welcome. <laughs> Who wants to come to that? Zacchaeus was not attracted to religion. None of us are. But we're attracted to a God that can restore broken things in our life that nobody else could. And my prayer for us is that we'd understand that, that Jesus, when he came on the scene, why our church is here, it's not here to create a nice religious bubble. It's here to get messy. No mess, no ministry. Uh, I think of Hannah, and there's this moment in the Old Testament. Hannah comes to the temple, and she starts praying. And the prophet at the time, Eli, he, he sees her uh, praying, and she is crying. I mean, she is. I mean, like, she'd be that person, if you're at church, she's worshiping, and she'd be like, <laughs> she'd be like hugging you. I'm so glad we're here. You're like, I don't even know you. Don't touch me, you know? I mean, it'd be like one of those people, okay? So she's crying. She's crying so much and praying so much that he thinks she's drunk. He gets up there and goes, Hannah, get out of here. How dare you come to church drunk? You may, the, the, the temples, we, we keep it tight here. We keep it nice. We keep it looking good here. You got to get out of here, Hannah. And Hannah's like, I'm not drunk. I just, I just... I haven't been able to have a kid, and 
I'm coming to the only one that could actually answer my prayer to create a miracle in this womb. And at that temple that day, there was one prayer that was answered, and it was the messy prayer from Hannah. Come to church on purpose. Come to Jesus on purpose. Come messy. I think it's tiring. It is so tiring to hide our insecurities. Oh, it's so tiring. Jesus saw this throughout. One last story of just how much Jesus wanted to care for people. They're at the temple, and there's a man with a withered hand, and he wasn't allowed to come to the temple because you weren't allowed to come to the temple in those days with a withered hand. And so if you had a withered hand, though, it's kind of nice. You could hide it. It's kind of nice to hide your, uh, your, your worst part of your life when you come to church because you don't, you don't want everybody to see your worst part because then they would judge your worst part and actually not see you is what you think. You'd be known for your issue and it's actually known for who you are. So he comes to church. He's walking around, worshiping God, you know, probably giving everybody the dap of the other hand. What's up? What's up? Hey, hug. One, one arm. That's good to see you. <laughs> and Jesus shows up. It's a Sabbath. Last thing he's supposed to do, it's really messy. He's supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath had now become a, a burden, not a blessing. The, the gift of church can become a burden to people and not a blessing. It never should be a burden to people. It should be a blessing to people. A Christian in your life should never be a burden to somebody. It should be a blessing. But the Sabbath, because it was so perverted by man, and they started serving the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath serving them, that they made the, all these rules. You name it. You could walk this many miles on that day. You're allowed to grab this person. You're allowed to heal somebody or help somebody if they're going to die. But if you broke your arm, but you're going to live, they're like, can't help you today. Sorry, tomorrow. Tomorrow. We made a rule. Broken arms, not, not allowed on the Sabbath. But if you were, like, broke your arm, you were dying. They're like, oh, you're dying? Okay, we'll help you. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. That's what the Pharisees did. So this man, not dying, Jesus didn't have to heal him on this day. But I believe he was showing, again, the precedence of what he cared about more, religion or the person. And so the man's walking around, and Jesus says, hey, put out your hand. And again, wouldn't it have been better if he would have healed it in his pocket? <laughs> so, like, nobody would have saw it, and it would have been, like, just between them. Like, you're like, hey, your hand's healed. Thanks, man. Oh, my God. Thanks. See you later. Bye. <laughs> How many of us? come into church and we hide our biggest weakness. We don't want to share it with anybody. We don't want anybody to see it. So we come to church and then we get in the car. We come to church. We get in the car. Quiet down, kids. I remember mom would be on the phone. She'd be like, oh, so good to hear. Shut up. Anyways, anyways. I'm like, how did you do that? That's like a superpower. You know how you do that? It takes a lot of energy to put that mask on. But man, God does not have a church so you can put a mask on. He comes and says, bring your worst. Bring the messiest stuff. Lay before me. Because guess what? Everybody to your right and left has something withered in their life. I want to be a church where people can come with their whatever it is and say, this is my struggle. And that's not to be appalled by it, but say, man, my God redeems those things. A caring God embraces the ones that the religious people and the ones with preference throughout. We're going to embrace them, not throw them out. Let's be messy together. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. It's a very simple conclusion, but this is one of the most famous quotes about caring. It's by Teddy Roosevelt. So many people have jacked it. Mary Kay has jacked it. I'm jacking it. People will steal it because it's so good. But nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. We've heard this, yes? My last point is very simply this. The church doesn't have a plan. We don't, Mission Church doesn't have a plan. We don't have a plan. I've heard it said that God, God's plan is the church. Catch that real quick. 
The church doesn't have a plan. God's plan is the church. And the plan of the church is the mission of the church. Go make disciples. So what we're supposed to be doing week in, week out, is making people more like Jesus and less like the world. More loving, more kind, more joyful. This is the role of the church. This is the great, this is him. Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. Jesus sent us. Spirit with us to build his church. And the great commission was to go make disciples. And throughout this series, we've had this theme about making and building and had a cake illustration. I mean, you name it, the builder, the maker, ready, set, go. And I, I share this illustration in our, our mission track, but I almost feel like I've shared it a little wrong. And what I mean by that, there's, there's, more, there's more layers to it. So if you've been mission track, you maybe have heard a little bit of this story, but I, I feel like I need to share it today for everybody who hasn't been at our mission track. It's just our next step if you want to be part of the church. But there's something to be said about when somebody meets you if they want Jesus or they don't want Jesus. That, that, that there's something to be said about your life, the responsibility in your life after they met you. Do they want more of what you have or do they want less of what you have? And so Rachel and I, we, we love Costco. Who loves Costco? Oh, I love Costco. It's like Disneyland now to me. I'm like, we're going to Costco, you know? I'm like, baby, you got the card? You got the card? Okay. I mean, you even have to have a card to get in. It's kind of like the club almost, you know? Like they got to tell me, okay, you can come in. Come on. Come on. Come to the club. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the club, you know? Um, so you get in, literally, there's join the club, Costco, okay, whatever. Um, you go to Costco, and Costco is really good at this. They've nailed it. You walk around Costco, and they have these things called samples, right? And so you see the samples, and there's this nice older lady. She's got a little bonnet on. She's like, hey, sir, would you like to try some of our Applewood smoked sausage? And I'm like, yes, I would. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now, all I did was come to Costco for one simple reason. I wanted to get some water and some eggs. And I wanted to get out. But after I tried that Applewood smoked sausage, I was like, that is delicious. Throw two of those in the cart, am I right? You know what I'm saying? And then you're walking around, and then another person comes by. Hey, sir, would you like to try our um, popcorn? We have, we're only here for three days. We leave, and we'll never come back again, you know? <laughs> and so we got the cheddar popcorn, the caramel popcorn, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm like, oh, the cheddar one, throw it in. The caramel, oh my gosh, throw it in. We actually sell a trio pack, and we're never coming back. Give me the trio pack, all right? So I'm walking through Costco, and then there's, you know, these little energy drinks. Oh, are you tired ever? Pure vitamins. This is taken from literally Zeus himself. Whoa. No, no, no. I'm a Christian. But I'll try it. Mmm. All right. Delicious. Okay. Not buying that one. You go throughout Costco, and then I get to the register. And I wanted eggs. I wanted water. And they just keep on checking things. Artichoke dip that I tried. Cheese. I'm like, how did eggs and water become 375 bucks? <laughs> Sample lady got me. There's verses throughout, taste and see that God is good. Taste and see. And he says that we'd be ambassadors of heaven. Can I just use a verb real quick? That we would be samples of heaven. And that people would say, man, all I was doing today, I was just trying to get to work and go home. But then I, I tasted joy from your life. And I want it. I tasted kindness from your life, and I want it. I tasted freedom from your life, and I want it. And what's nice is when they get to the register, bill's already been paid for. Come on in. There's no bill. This ain't no bait and switch. Jesus cared so much that he came to pay the bill that you could never pay. I sometimes feel like life is like that one menu where it just says market price. You ever seen those? You know, like lobster market price. And I want to ask the waiter, hey, what did uh, lobster close at today? 
It's kind of curious. I'm an investor, you know, or he's going to get the bill at the very end. But what happens is, is we live our life without actually going to the one that actually shows us the cost. And then we wonder why we're paying with so much torment, so much, so much hurt, so much anger, because you've been actually ordering from the wrong menu. My prayer for our church is that we would care so much that we would see ourselves with the responsibility to be a sample of the kingdom. This week, you are being sent, by, not by me, but by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to go change the world. And as you're passing through Starbucks, as you're passing through your workplace, understand that maybe you don't even have to say anything, but the reason that you're so faithful and kind and you're great at your job and you give your best, it's gonna stand out to people. And when they ask, bam, here comes the opportunity. I was passing through, you gotta come to church. I found this guy named Jesus. He was my savior. Well, what do I have to do to get saved? You know, it's actually what he did for you so you could be saved. Will you bow your heads with me?